I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walt. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 18. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 18. Now, the last time we were visiting chapter 18, we saw two parables that kind of dealt with prayer. The first one was continually coming in prayer. The second was the attitude in prayer. The Pharisee thinking he was somebody versus the publican who knew he was a nobody. The Pharisee standing upright and thanking God. He's not like all these other people, especially this publican. The publican not even looking up, smote his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And of course, Christ said, he went away justified, not the other. Now, in the next two sections, we're going to be dealing with people. And the very first section is short verses, but very significant. In verses 15 through 17, we're going to see the disciples, the Lord Jesus, and we're going to see children. We're going to take a look at that. And then the next section will deal with the rich young ruler, and we'll deal with his uh, scenario there with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if you just read Luke's Gospel's account, you get a short view here. And you might get the idea Jesus is on his way, you know, to uh, the cross. And he's doing all these things along the way. And we know he was speaking to the Pharisees and the end of the chapter 17. We know that he's been doing this along the way. So I'm going to pop over to Matthew chapter number 19. When we get to Matthew chapter 19, we find again that there's short verses. Then were brought unto him children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Luke's gospel says, And they brought unto him infants also that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. We might get the idea that he's walking towards Jerusalem, that this is happening on the outside on his way. But when we jump over to Mark's gospel's account of this, and we read above it. Here's what we read. In Mark's gospel in chapter number 10 and verse number 10. And in the house, his disciples ask him again of the matter. And he saith unto them. Now, this is where he is talking with the Pharisees. 
and the people. And he's teaching them. The Pharisees came to him in verse 7 and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And so he gives them an answer. And when they're done, they're in the house. That gives us a clue that they're in a house. And the disciples ask him. And he answers their question. And they brought young children to him. There's a connecting word there that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. See, we got the children and the them, and we got the those that are bringing them. But when Jesus saw it, now here we see something that we're going to look at in just a moment that's going to also shed some light onto it. When he saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me, for of such, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Now, in all of these cases, these words are not dealing with a grown child. They're dealing with an infant. And uh, some of the words here could mean different things. But this particular word, especially when we look at Luke's gospel and we see the word infants, we see here that is talking to them about a baby, a child, somebody that was being brought by the parents. Okay. So the parents are bringing them in. Now, the point here, I think that is clear, is that the parents are bringing the children to Jesus. And that is a good thought. Parents are the bringing up their children. The fathers are admonished to bring them up in the admin, nurture and admonition of the Lord. What are you trying to do when you bring a new child home and you start to see that baby grow physically and you begin to teach them the things, you know, that, that they're, they're important to you? One of the things you want to bring them to is the clear point of Christ. You want to bring them so that they know who Jesus Christ is. You bring them to church so you can bring them to Jesus. And maybe at home, they'll ask you about what the preacher preached. Maybe at church, they'll go forward down the road as they come into that age of accountability, the ability to understand. So this is a, a neat thing. Now, I don't believe that, uh, they, that, that the disciples understood all of what was going on but the way this reads goes like this Jesus is inside the house parents are coming to the house the disciples are starting to rebuke those that bring them in outside of the house so in my mind's eye I picture children coming in and Jesus is blessing them the disciples don't like it and stop it outside and at some point maybe Jesus is like what happened to the to the line where the children go and it says when Jesus saw it this is in uh, Mark's gospel here where Jesus saw it well the word saw uh, is an interesting word because it has everything to do with seeing with perception when he saw when he understood when it became that he gets what's going on. He has a knowledge of what's going on. He says, whoa, hold it. Suffer, allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So they're bringing these infants that he would touch them. Now that's an interesting thought. 
why are they bringing him there for Jesus to touch him? Uh, did they think to themselves, you know, like the woman, if I could just touch but the hem of his garment, did they believe of who he was? Well, for one thing, uh, they believed more than likely that they needed to see Jesus and that there was a need for them to touch Jesus and know who he was. Uh, maybe they thought that by doing that, they would bring blessing to them. But uh, one of the things that sticks out in my mind is that they wanted them to meet Jesus for whatever reason each parent had. Now, the disciples decided that's not right. They decided to do something. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. In intervening on that, something that if it was something Jesus was not for, he would have stopped immediately. Jesus is not one who's been not in control and a wimp and the disciples have to bail him out. Jesus has been in total control and they've been in awe by him. They've been inspired by him. They have been dumbfounded by him and they've been absolutely afraid because of him as he walked on water and they thought they saw a ghost. The disciples rebuked these parents for bringing in these infant children, refusing to let them reach Jesus. Does that not sound like what a lot of religion and things of our day are doing, they are doing everything they can to stop, to prevent, to totally deny anybody from meeting Jesus, the most important person that you will ever meet in their life. They were determining who could and who could not touch Jesus. You know, with the woman reached in and touched Jesus, and Jesus said, who touched me? The disciples were like, well, we can't help you with this one, Jesus. There's the crowds here. <laughs> We'd love to help you out because we stopped this touching business. Jesus wasn't rebuking her for touching him. He wanted to know who it was because he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. And when she came forth and said what she said, Jesus said that her faith had made her whole. So there was a faith element to this. Their parents have a faith who Jesus is. And they're bringing these kids so that Jesus could be around them and touch them and bless them. And if Jesus is who he says he is, of all the people, I wouldn't take them to the Pharisees. They can't bless anything. They've seen Jesus. There was some reason why they wanted to go, but the disciples were determining who could and who could not reach Jesus. They were determining who had the right to be in Jesus' presence and who did not have the right to be in Jesus' presence. Wow, that is incredible to think that any human being has the right to stand in and decide what God can and cannot do. I've said for many, many, many years, any position that anybody takes that helps God, fixes God, or fixes his word has a non-biblical ungodly sinful position God needs no fixing his word needs no fixing there is nothing broken and he said that we should all come to repentance he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance who is not allowed to go to church who is going to be rejected from entering in to hear the gospel who do you think you could say 
to that person, you don't deserve the gospel. Did you? Did I? Of course not. None of us did. Because Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. When we were ungodly and unlovable. That's when he died for us. They were not understanding the importance of connecting people to Jesus. The parents wanted their children not connected over here in the religious realm, but connected to this one that seems to have the power and the ability to change lives. So they bring him these infants, and we see that Jesus is wanting them, but something went wrong, and they're not coming in. He sees with perception, and he rebukes his disciples and he says no suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not the word there means to prevent to hinder to keep from to withstand to forbid goodness we don't have that right (laughs) we don't have that right he said verily truthfully i say unto you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Now, why do you suppose he said that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's some things about little children that are very interesting. Number one, they just are very trusting in those early, early years. You can tell them to jump, you'll catch them, and they just believe it. You miss one time, they'll never believe you again. But, boy, they just, they believe. They're quick to believe. A child's quick to get over things. A whole lot more so than... uh, adults are in fact uh in teaching school especially uh, i taught in the upper grades but it was kind of in the upper grades too but in the lower grades which i didn't teach you'll see these friendships change and you know a kid will go home and cry and say i know so-and-so was my friend not my friend anymore and the wise answer would be just wait a day or two they'll be back they forgive easily and quickly and so a child is usually very very trusting because they've been very dependent on their parents They've been very, very dependent on this big person they call mom and dad uh, at whatever age they start. They become very dependent. They need them to feed them. They need them to change them. They need them to uh, interact with them, to laugh with them, all those things as they're growing up. And that's why the, the Bible says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And that's why the Lord makes a big deal about children. In fact, if you remember... In John's Gospel, chapter number 21, he says on the shoreline to the people in the boat, the disciples of the boat, children, do you have anything to eat? You know, no, we didn't catch anything. Psalm 34, 11 says, come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In Psalm 131, 2, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. You know, a a little baby doesn't worry about the finances of the house. It knows nothing of them. It has no concept whether they've been born in a very, very, very poor home, a very, very rich home, or anything in between. They don't have any concept. If anyone in the home is sick, they don't know if anybody's hurting. What they know is their little world. So come as a child. And when you do, you will come dependent 
upon who you're coming to. You will come obedient and you will come learning because a child is always learning. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 4 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. We're always learning. So as we get older, we should be able to learn more and more and more. And we watch our children grow. If we're going to watch them grow, let's let them get touched by Jesus. Something they remember. And I'm telling you, all my church experiences where Christ was truthfully said, where I really heard something, they were there to remind me on that day that I got saved. So we see the disciples, we see Jesus, and we see the children, and we see the parents. The bad guys in this, unfortunately, were the disciples. Isn't that sad? What a sad commentary that they missed it. Just like the, I must needs go through Samaria. And they were so upset when they came in and saw him with that Samaritan woman. They didn't like that at all. They did not understand the heart of Jesus. He came to die for all. Not all will get in, but that's not his fault. He came to die for all. Now along the way, we see one person stand out in the crowd. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that interesting? Uh, when we see this, guys, we see the ruler's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, to be an heir of it. How, how do I get in this thing? Uh, you know, I want to get in on this thing. What, what, what family line do I have to get in on? And Jesus doesn't even deal with the inheriting eternal life. He goes back to the word good master, you know, good teacher. You, you're, you're the master teacher here. You're a good teacher, okay? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? <laughs> Here's a question. Why do you call me good? There is none good save one that is God. He's good. God is good all the time. All the time is God is good. good. God is good. We say it all the time. Here is the response of Jesus. Explain why you said that. Because thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. He said, so why do you call me good? You know these things. Now, instead of answering the question, about why are you calling me good, then the ruler kind of zeroes in on the commandments and says, well, all these have I kept from my youth up. Well, since I was just a young, as a young fella, I mean, I, I kept every single one of these. Do you think he really did that? Maybe the ones he named, maybe he had never committed adultery or killed or stolen anything. Maybe he did honor his father and mother. But, you know, if you break any of them in one point, you're guilty of how much? all every single bit of it now watch this we see the response of jesus and then we see the response of the rich young ruler but watch this now when jesus heard these things he said unto him okay let's go for the jugular vein <laughs> let's just get to the heart of your problem sir Yet lackest thou one thing. You're lacking in one area. Sell all that thou hast and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Can you imagine the bombshell that dropped on this man? Can you imagine 
what happened when he saw that, when he heard those words. And I'm going to tell you right now, that word sell is in the imperative. He was not giving him a suggestion of something to do. He said, you lack one thing. You want to get into this kingdom. Here's, here's, what you need. here's what's standing between you and getting in the kingdom. It's not that he had to sell to get in. It's he had to deal with his riches to be able to get to the place where he would then repent and be humble enough to believe in Christ Jesus. His riches were his God. Jesus was not going to be. So he goes for the jugular. This is where your heart is. This is where your treasure is. This is where your God is. It's in your wealth. It's in what you have. So emphatic, go. Sell all that thou hast. It's in the aorist tense, which simply means this. Do it at a point in time and be done with it. And then it's another imperative. And give to the poor. Distribute to the poor. Give out. Give to those, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Then you will find the treasure you want, and it will be in heaven. And come, follow me. All right? Again, imperative, present tense, active. That simply means you have to act on it right now if you want me. Do you want your riches, or do you want me? You want to inherit eternal life, you don't inherit it. You get it based on what I am fixing to do. I'm on my way to the cross. You get it by faith in me and what I'm fixing to do. Now, this is the hardest part of this whole thing. This is where it gets so sad. And when, verse number 23, he heard this, he was sorrowful. No, that's not what your Bible says. The Bible says he was very sorrowful. This is a qualitative word, meaning exceeding sorrowful. In other words, it did cut to the juggler vein. It did get in to a place that just messed him because that is what his trust is. He has nowhere else to go. Money is it. And I've heard people say, money takes all the worry away. And I remember hearing someone say, Money won't take the cancer away. Money won't take the child that's dying away. Money doesn't do that. And back and forth they go. But they think money just takes care of everything. I was in a very, very, very ritzy neighborhood uh, knocking on doors back many, many, many years ago in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, a lady opened the door and it was a humongous mansion of a house. They had uh, a big yacht in the the side yard there and multiple cars uh, that would cost a fortune and I was trying to invite her to church and tell her about Jesus and I'll never forget her response to me was look around you I don't need Jesus I'm well taken care of that's kind of the attitude this man had I've got too much to give it up and so he was very, very sorrowful, for he was very rich. He was exceeding sorrowful because he had exceeding riches, and he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want his treasures in heaven. Jesus said, I'll give you treasure in heaven. I don't want it in heaven. I want it here. Well, if you want your reward here, you can have it, but the money will burn up. You won't take it with you, and you will die, and you will spend eternity someplace, somewhere, forever. And then the Bible says when Jesus saw that the man was sorrowful, <laughs> Can you imagine that? 
I bet you that just broke his heart. I bet Jesus' heart was absolutely broken. And again, this is that same word, to see with perception. He said this, how hardly, oh my goodness, how hardly. It's just so hard. How hard it is. Shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, why is that? Because they can't seem to give it up. He's not saying that a rich person can't get saved. I remember a rich lady got saved, and she, she had a testimony. Here's what she said. She said, I'm saved by the letter M. And everybody looked at her like, really? She said, the Bible didn't say not any that are wealthy could get saved. He said, not many. And I'm glad to tell you, I'm not one of the many. I'm one of the few I got in. It is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye. Some think they're referring to the eye gate there, uh, the, the, the gate where the, they had the eye and a, need, a, a camel could get down on its knees and crawl through at night. Uh, or others think it's just an illustration. But irregardless, what it's saying is, this is how hard it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God because they can't let go. It has nothing to do with what God has to do with it. God is willing to save. God's not willing that any should perish. And unto him that come, those that come unto him, he will no wise cast out. But the problem is simply this. He had a problem. He could not give up his riches. And he said, it's very hard for rich people to give up their riches. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which were impossible with men are possible with God. Yep. All things are possible. God can change your heart if you let him. He can convict you. You can respond to it or you can ignore it. Then Peter said, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Wow. He said, You give up things? Okay, great. Guys, listen. Because you gave up these things, you wait to see what your reward will be in heaven. You wait till you get up there and see what's coming. You will get so much more because you were willing to deal with these things. Because you were willing to leave things, forgive things, to handle things. Many times, God takes things away that are okay just because for us, they're going to be a problem. Sometimes he takes things away because we're getting our eyes off of him and we don't have our eyes on the things that we should and we get our eyes. So he takes something away and brings our attention back. Says, that had all your attention. Bring it back. Like Vance Havner in his famous sermon, On That Rock I Stand. Everything in my basket is all in Jesus Christ and on that rock I stand. Everything he has said about that word, on that rock I stand. Everything about his uh, life, death, burial, resurrection, what he wants me to do, how I'm supposed to live is in the word. I believe the word, and on that rock I stand. The rock of ages is the rock on which I stand. When we come back, we're going to deal with his prediction of Calvary, and we're going to deal with a blind man. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us with your spirit. May we understand clearly May we see that Jesus always affected people, always were dealing with people, trying to bring them to a place where they would recognize who he is and by faith 
in him have their sins forgiven. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have an absolutely awesome yes, week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. Oh, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. Precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word. You have been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.